Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are closing out our three-part series talking to big-time killer drummers with our guest, Mickey Curry. Now, like our last two guests, Russ Kunkel, Tris Imboden, Mickey has had a long and varied and fun and exciting career working with people that we love. Two of his biggest gigs or biggest collaborations have been with Hall & Oates, and Brian Adams, and you guys know we love those guys. So we talk a lot about that. Now in addition, there have been other things, like for instance, we had Bob Rock on here about a month ago, and we were deep diving the Sonic Temple album from The Cult. Mickey, in case you forgot, played drums on that album. While he was up in Canada working with Bob on that, he also played drums with Honeymoon Suite. And you guys know we love Honeymoon Suite around here too. So we talk a lot about that. In addition, there are other collaborations, like we, uh, he played with Steve Winwood, Carly Simon, Dion, uh, Tom Waits, Roy Orbison, and friend of the show, Phil Thornalley. That, that Astral Drive album that Phil put out a couple albums uh, a couple years ago that is so great, Mickey played on a couple of those songs as well. Now, as, in addition, he talks a lot about a couple of huge gigs he played. One of them is Live Aid. I forgot about Live Aid. Mickey was there playing with Hall & Oates. And you may remember, Hall & Oates, near the end of like their peak period, put out that Live at the Apollo album with The Temptations. Mickey played on that too. So we find out what it was like playing with The Temptations. Anyway, I think what you will find from this conversation, you will realize why Mickey has had such a long and great career. Not only is he a great drummer, but he's a great hang. I've talked about that many times in here. Some of, sometimes it just boils down to who do people want to hang out with when they're making music. And Mickey comes across as the exact guy you would want to hang out with if you were making music. No wonder he's been around so long and done so many cool things. Anyway, I think you'll enjoy this. I don't know how you couldn't. This, this conversation is a blast. Mickey is so much fun. And there's so much stuff we didn't even get to, which we may have to do a part two on sometime. Okay? Anyway, he called me from his home in Connecticut. Uh, I love your your talk with Waddy Wachtel. You know he's one of my oh. heroes. One of my, he's one of my favorite guys. I love him to death, and uh, it was really nice hearing him just sort of talk about what he does. You know, oh, he's thank such you for a, that. a he's such an sort of a he's one of those unsung heroes. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's on every he's on everything, and not everybody knows his name. So it's so true. Um, yeah, yeah, it was great. It's so fun to talk to people like you because, um, uh, now, granted, you've had, or or Wadi, these people who have 
who have long resumes with lots of fun yeah. stuff on them, you know, because yeah. it, it's just yeah. great to hear the stories. So, I mean, we're going to do something similar. Uh, I don't know if you right. heard, too, I had Keith on here almost two years ago. Yeah, and... I remember when he, he I remember when he did uh, the, this with you and he was so nervous and, and he was. <laughs> He was so nervous about talking. He just, you know, he can't talk uh -huh. about himself. It's very difficult right. for him. Right. But um, he, he's another one of those guys. He's just yeah. the best guitar player alive. And yeah. he has no idea right. what an influence he is on everyone around him. You know, besides the fact that he's the coolest guy on the planet. He's really Agreed. just a beautiful cat. Agreed. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember, I remember how nervous he was about <laughs> about it all which made me laugh well anyway. it's uh mm. it was so nice of both of them to talk to me i'm so grateful and you so yeah. no, let thanks. me i'm trying to think i've been trying to think with so much to talk about where to begin and i think what i'll do is um the thing that i mean i've had a i've had you in mind for a long time to come on here but what kind of clinched it for me recently was so I've had Bob Rock on here a couple of times, and we were talking yeah. about uh, the Colts, Sonic Temple, just uh, yeah. recently. And yeah. I was saying to him that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think that the drummer for Brian Adams and Hall & Oates would fit yeah. so perfectly with the Colt, and yet you did. So I, tell me about that story. And I mean, did you, when you go into a project like that, are you, I don't know, is drumming just drumming to you? It doesn't really matter what the music is or the band or the artist, or do you have to kind of, I don't know, change your way of doing things? Yeah. Uh, interesting. Drumming is drumming. You know, uh -huh. I think you can take, you can take anybody and if with the right sort of mix or sound, uh, you can probably slot them in anywhere if they're comfortable playing whatever the groove is, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've always been that guy, like, I, I would love to play on everything. You know, you want to play yeah. on every different kind of thing. So Hall & Oates was a very sort of R&B soul thing. Brian's very sort of pop rock, you know. Mm -hmm. he, likes, he likes a big rock sound, but at the same time, you know, it's the song, this is sensibility and, um, you know, just... Uh, his voice and all that so those things you know you sort of adapt as you go in the cult record i i just really to be honest uh, you know i i bob rock is is such a great producer and he's he's also a great engineer mm -hmm. he's got great ears you know he yeah. hears 
he knew what that record was supposed to sound like before we even got in the room. He he knew what he was going to do and yeah. how he was going to get it. And the sounds are really uh, crucial for that record, I think. Uh, you know, I, I had played on a couple of big, sort of big sounding rock records. And, uh, you know, it was always one of those things. You, you feel like uh, you're supposed to be a chameleon, you know. Uh -huh. You want to be able to go in and work with anybody and give them what they need. So uh, that whole record was Bob Rock. He, yeah. he, for me, uh, I mean, Billy and Ian are are, are great and uh, great songwriters and really, really incredible music. Billy's a great guitar player. You know, that, they, they were fun and, and all that, but Bob was the guy and, you know, he knew what he wanted. And I really, I didn't have an awful lot to do with how that record came out. I just really was the guy just playing drums. Um, yeah. You know, okay. you, you hit a little harder, maybe, you know, you uh -huh. play to the sound. You play to the sound that you're hearing, right? right? So he just got great drum sounds. Mike, I think Mike Fraser, yeah, it was Mike Fraser was uh, assisting on that. And he, he's, uh, he's also a great engineer and producer. And, um, you know, we just went for it. We put the okay. drums in the middle of the room. He got that big, giant drum yeah. sound that he's so good at. I heard Firewoman on the, in the car about a week ago. <laughs> Nice. I'm driving, uh, you know, I did my, my monthly run out to uh, put gas in the car and uh -huh. you know, stop and get, stop and get bird food. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, you know, it, it's crazy times we're in, you know, it, is. And, um, it sure is. So every, every moment out of the house is a, is, you know, you, you sort of squeeze it for everything you can get. And I was in my car mm -hmm. and I sat there and listened to that song it was so great to hear that yeah. it sounds so good on it the sure radio. Does. Yeah. It's such a great and it feels great and everything about that song is really uh really fun to listen to and uh it's really memorable. It sticks with you. I I was singing it and it was in my head for a week after uh -huh, that. And, uh -huh. um, yeah, it's one of those, you know. You can't get it out of your head. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I I just the whole thing was Bob, you know. He's, yeah. he's just he's just brilliant with yeah. Big rock production, you know. He knows what he's doing and he knows how to get those sounds. And if you listen to that record, there's not a lot I mean there's nothing complicated about what I'm doing. Really yeah, I guess it just it, maybe you're right, it is a sound. I yeah, it's not there's not like, you know, fi it's really Billy's album if anything cuz he's, yeah. you know, yeah. doing He's all over the. He's doing so much and so well on every yeah. song, just about. Yeah. But he's the highlight. But I was thinking, you know, they had already passed through Eric Singer and yeah. uh, Chris Taylor by that point. But you were the guy, and I wondered if that was because you had the chops, if you knew Bob, if you yeah. obviously you had the chops. But I, you know, what, what, why not the other two? Why you? I, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't hear about those guys until years later. I oh. didn't know that all of that. I had no idea that all of that had happened. You know, when I get called into a session, I have no idea about sort of who was in there the day before or who was in there the month before or, you know, did they try this guy and it didn't work out? I mean, you get little snippets of a story and sometimes, you know, these things just disappear. I, I had no idea that Eric had been in and played drums and Chris as well. Chris is a great drummer. Yeah. And I remember, I remember watching him with Bob's band, the Paolas and um, he was, he was really great. So I didn't know any of that. And um, I just, you know, you get called to do a session. You just want to play good. You yeah. know, you want to get in there and you don't want to be the weak link in the chain, you know? Yeah. So 
I got in, we had rehearsed uh, the songs a couple of times and then they started taking, you know, just recording. So, yeah. uh, you know, for me, it's just uh, learn the song, bash through and hope it works. You know, yeah. Yeah. And Bob's Bob's really good at that. So I had no really I didn't know um, that they had gone through a couple of guys to get to that. I mean, I had worked with Bob before and, um, you know, we got along great and he, um, I love the way he works and the, the sound he gets mm -hmm. and it just makes you play that way, you know? Yeah, so I could see that. Uh, I know, I know that the grooves were important, you know, just to, to really nail that sort of rock stomp thing. But that, no intention, kind of what we did with it. no intention from you to stick with the band or go on tour or anything. You were content to play on the album. No, I was really, I was really busy. You know, I had just, yeah. um, I had just started touring with Adams, yeah. with Brian. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd been recording with Brian for year, for five or six years before that. Uh, when I was with Hall and Oates, I was on the road a lot in the, all through the eight, early mid eighties, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I would work with Brian in between these tours. We'd get in the studio for a week or two. So I was really lucky to be able to get on Brian's records mm -hmm. and still still be in the Hall & Oates band. So when Hall & Oates sort of split up in 85 or I think it was 86 or so, okay. uh, Daryl was Daryl was going to play a solo, do solo stuff. He was doing a solo record and it was sort of, um, you know, um, kind of a hiatus or something yeah. we we're gonna stop for a while and I had been uh, I had gone up to Vancouver to work on Into the Fire with Brian oh, and, I love that album. yeah I love that record too and uh, he asked me to tour he asked me to come on the road so that's I committed to that and that was I think 87 so prior to that you, you hadn't been records. touring with Brian no okay. no I had I had um, I had never done live gigs with him uh, just recording Okay. So uh, that's when I sort of committed to that. And, um, you know, that's how yeah. I went from there. Well, um, but go ahead. I was just going to say, working with Bob, you know, I had been in uh, Little Mountain mm -hmm. uh, a few times with Brian over the years. And I love that studio. And Bob was always there. Yeah. He was always working on something. You know, the payolas were busy and he was busy producing and. I did a honeymoon suite record with him there, mm -hmm. um, which was a blast. And um, I love big. I, I've had Derry on here a couple of times too. And oh, the I love them. Yeah, yeah. What a what a great. They are they are the sweetest cat. Derry is the nicest cat, and he's a great musician. And yes. um, I would love someday to maybe work with them again. I know a few years ago, they contacted me about coming up to maybe um, do another record. Oh, 
uh, unfortunately I was on the road, yeah. so I couldn't do it. But I, I love those guys, and I, um, I'm a, I'm a big fan. You know, besides yeah. being you're on the big, you're on the big prize, right? I was looking yeah. at the uh, credits, and they thank you and yeah. and Chris Taylor just for being nice guys. It says in there, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> or good yeah. guys or something. Well, that was those those sessions were fun. They had recorded everything. And, you know, they had full band and Bob asked me to come in and um, replace the drum tracks on a, on a bunch of it. He said that we're just not, you know, it's just not there yet. And uh. I know that if you came in and did this. So I went in and sort of just went over the tracks and put drums wow. on wow. new drums. Um, I think some of it was a little shaky for them. And uh, I didn't hear anything wrong with the tracks. I thought they were great. Uh, but. You know, yeah. um, it's not my record. So right, right. Anyway, um, I remember that, and that was really fun. And Bob, um, that was sort of where I realized Bob's—he's—he's—he's he's, uh, he's way beyond the rest of us. Right. When it comes to um, <laughs> know, knowing what he's doing in the studio. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's go back then to the Hall and Oates period, and uh, I want to yeah. talk about Brian, obviously too, and I have a bunch of other things to. Throw at you, but okay. So, Hall, my understanding is that the Private Eyes record is really the first kind of major credit of yours. You know, I mean, it, when I look over your Ooh. resume, that's the big one that stands out at me. I and my understanding too is that Tommy Matola had something to do with this. You were on a band that a friend of his managed, or something like that. How did you even mm. get into Hollow Notes's orbit? Well, I had done a record uh, uh, late. I think it was 1980, late in the year. I was in a band in Connecticut called the Scratch Band for a long time. Okay. And I left the Scratch Band in 1980 and started going into Manhattan, into New York, to work. And I, G.E. Smith was the guitar player in the Scratch Band for a long time. And then, of Got course, it. he went on to, to, to be, you know, G.E. Smith. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. he was working with Hall & Oates. I, I did his solo record. It was called, uh, I think it was called In the World at the power station in Manhattan, late 1980. And Bob Clearmountain produced and engineered that. Sort of the first real session I did in New York. Okay. So Peter Lubin was a guy who worked for Mercury Records and was a, was trying to help the Scratch Band out. 
with stuff. Um, and I had, I had known Peter for a few years. He called and said, uh, there's a band in New York. Uh, I'd like you to play drums on. They're called Tom Dickey and the desires. So I said, mm. I'd love to do that. So I, get, I went into New York. Uh, it was like January or February of 81. And I did, uh, Tom Dickey and the De desires record at electric lady. Wasn't Gary Corbett in that band? I think Gary Corbett was in the band. Yeah, who went on to play with Kiss and Cinderella and a bunch of other yeah, people. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Tom was great, and he was a great songwriter, and that was really fun, that record. Uh, Tommy Matola managed Tom Dickey and the Desires. Oh, he came down to the it. studio. Yeah, so he came down, he was at the studio and asked me if I'd be interested in doing some tracks with Daryl and John with hall notes and i said of course so he said just leave your drum kit here uh they're gonna you know work next week blah blah, blah. so i i came in the following week <laughs> and uh -huh. i recorded the private eyes uh four or five tracks on private eyes album. do you remember which ones yeah uh private eyes was one of the songs
I'd have to I'd have to go through that record. Okay, and see. that's fine. I have the CD. I was looking at it, but my copy of the CD oh. doesn't have any liner notes in it. I must have some crappy newer version or something. So there, yeah. I couldn't tell um, what you did on it. But Private Eyes, okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, um, there's, there's four uh, four definite. Oh, um, Head Above Water was another oh. one. I think that was the first song I tracked with them. Okay. Anyway, so Tommy Tommy asked me to <clears throat> come in. Uh, to do the Hall and Oates stuff. So I, I did the Hall and Oates stuff. While I was tracking the, the actual song, the privatized track, uh, Bob Clearmountain calls me. He called me in the middle of the session. Hmm. And it's, I know it sounds like a story, but it's really true. He called in the middle of the session and said, I've got these demos from this Canadian kid and I would love you to play drums on it. And it was Brian. Wow. Daryl asked me if I'd be interested in going on the road with them in the fall to promote the record. So uh -huh. I, I did that. That summer, I was out with GE band. We did wow. a month and a half across America with uh, We Opened for Squeeze. That oh. was sort of my first real, that I was sort of squeeze. my first tour across the country. Yeah, me too. Wow. Paul Carrick was singing and um, yes. you know, Gilson Gilson Lavis is the drummer. Uh, I learned so much from watching him play every night. He, he, I love Gilson. He's, he's been on here too. Yeah, love him. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, uh, he's one of my heroes. He's one of my heroes. Another guy, you know. Yeah, that, one of those unsung heroes of mine. He's so good. Yeah, and I uh, really, I, I learned a lot. Uh, good. I love the those guys. Him. All of them. Yeah. They're so yeah. good at what they yeah. do. Yeah, and Paul Carrick. Uh, we we. Worked together again years later. I, mm -hmm. I got to play on one of his records. And, Groove uh, we, approved. You know, we were, yeah, yeah. He's he's quite a singer, man. He's really a character and um, a really sweet guy. But I love his voice. He's one of the Me great. Me too. One of the best. Of, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 Okay. So GE in the summer, Hollow yeah. Notes in the fall. Somewhere in there, you yeah. record on Brian's album. Do you now? Yeah, I don't we, not to take anything away from you or your abilities or anything like that. But did <laughs> Bob thinking of you to play on Brian's Brian's album have anything to do with you just being there, or did he know you well enough to know this is the man for the job? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to uh, to say, but I know that 
when we worked on GE's record, Bob and I worked, it, it, there was something really great, magical okay. about how we did that. He, he sort of got these amazing drum sounds that just sort of worked with how I play. Okay. You know, and I, I say it all the time. I, I really probably wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for Bob Clearmountain. Yeah. There, there's it's something sad. about his, his drum sound and you put that together with just sort of how I do play. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it seemed to be what a lot of people just wanted yeah. on their records. You know, I, that was the sound. I'm so lucky. I mean, really lucky to, to have met him and worked with him. And uh, I mean, it's, it's just for me, um, the okay. best. He, he's another guy. He's like Bob rock in that sense where his, mm -hmm. he's got great ears. He knows what he needs to hear. Well, he's a master, master. He and he's got so his own good. sound, the the Clear yeah, Mountain absolutely. Pause or whatever it's called. You yeah. know, he puts yeah. these dramatic, epic sounding pregnant pauses. And it, not just that, he does yeah. everything, but he's yeah. famous for that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny, we knew when, when, you know, you work with Bob Clear Mountain, you know you've got a track when he gets up from the mixing board and starts sort of walking around and dancing around. and Really? You know, he, yeah, he stands up and he gets, you know, you, you can be sort of getting excited about what he's hearing. And, um, you know, what makes take four different from take 17, you, you have no idea what it is, but he knows, you know, and um, he, he's, oh, really, he's really something to work with. And I, I love him. He, he's the best. I just yeah. love Bob. Yeah. And, and I love working with him. You know, I get all excited when, when I know he's coming. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. Uh, you know, I had Jerry Murata on here, and, and I know he was a yeah. part of the Hollow Notes world back then, too. Yes. Why Why do you think that they needed the two of you? Or were you were you splitting, you know, he's doing some four or five, you're doing four yeah. or five? What's the deal? Yeah. I I don't know. I think they were just, um, you know, getting guys in. Okay. I think a lot of people do that. They just get guys in. You know, Jerry's in for a couple of days, and they give him these songs to play, and he he's the master he is yeah. absolutely the master at the just recording a drum track i got to watch him play it was the day before i went into track i got to go in and watch him track just crazy good he's he's so good but uh to answer your question i'm not sure um why people do that but uh it happens a lot you know you yeah. get um two or three guys on a record it could be you know uh guys are busy they they don't have the day free yeah, or they've got something you know obligated to something else or i mean you get look at guys like hal blaine and right you know jim gordon and jeff Procaro. these guys they worked all day long on different things and uh i'm sure there were a lot of uh sessions they just couldn't yeah. get to because they were too busy but um i don't know how i don't know um to, to answer your question i really don't know why um hmm. I guess when like we always think of, we always think in terms of a band, you know, like it's yeah. four guys or five guys and they're in one room yeah. and they're creating. Yeah. But when it's kind of a, you know, it, shuffling in and out of a couple of people here yeah. and there, it just goes against the concept, I guess, in some ways. Well, you I know, just wondered... Yeah, you look at a lot of records. Um, you know, they're 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 five drummers on the album. True. You know, yeah. or or you know, you've got a couple of those players. that I'm going to ask you about here in a little bit too. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. But Jerry, you know, Jerry, uh, one of the tracks.
on the Private Eyes record is, is one of my all-time favorite drum tracks. Uh, it's called Unguarded Minute. Jerry plays a fill, uh, sort of going out, going into the outro choruses. It crosses the bar and finishes halfway through the, it's, it's ridiculous how good, how soulful. Really? Um, just, oh my God, it, it, it's absolutely one of my favorite moments <laughs> in really? recorded music. It's so good. It's, it's as good to me as. You know, on uh, on so what on kind of blue where where Jimmy Cobb comes in with a um, he comes in with a rivet symbol. Yes, uh, oh for the for the first gosh. trumpet solo, it, it that just gives me goosebumps. And me Hal too. Blaine's rivet symbol, rib, Hal Blaine's rivet symbol off the top of Never My Love, the Association song. Mm. It, it's just oh my god, I, I get goosebumps. I'm talking, you can't see me, but I have goosebumps right now. <laughs> talking about these. That's great. But Jerry, Jerry gave me one of those moments, and you know we're we're good friends, and I've known him for a long time, and every time I see him, I tell him about that, and he he just wants to punch me. <laughs> he doesn't want to he doesn't want to know that you know it's That's something so that so, something that sort of you know minute in detail could be yeah. such a big part of someone's you got know, it that's life. classic so anyway yeah okay I so now you stick around with hollow notes for the next couple of albums and uh big bam yeah. boom is that was that hit me right in the sweet spot i was probably 12 or 13 or whatever when that came out. And so yeah. I, I should tell you, Hollow Notes are, so I have a like holy trinity of who my favorite artists of all time are. And it, and yeah. it's David Bowie, it's Neil Finn uh, slash Credit House and uh, oh, Hollow fantastic. Notes. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, I mean, they're, they're, it doesn't get any better to me than Hollow Notes. So tell me about mm. Big Bam Boom in particular, because 
just by the name of that album, it implies that your drumming is going to be a big part of the sound, you know, like we've been saying. Yeah. So uh, what was going, you know, do you have any stories or remember any particular moments that you're proud of on that album? Well, actually, Big Bamboom, uh, there are only a few tracks that are live drums. A lot of stuff is looped. Uh -huh. You know, they would take sort of two bars or four bars of something, you know, a, tr a drum track and loop it. Uh, a lot of it is just a little Roland 808. You know, I, I'm also a huge Hall and Oates fan. I was a uh -huh. fan of theirs in high school. I was listening to their records and I couldn't, I just, I was pinching myself when yeah. I actually found myself in the room working with them. I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan. Yeah. I think Daryl Hall's one of the greatest singers of all time. And Me also he, he and John write the most beautiful songs and really clever, catchy and, uh, you know, those are really fond uh, memories for me. Uh, those were great days uh, working yeah. with them. The Big Bamboom record, I think, you know, we were going in and out of the studio and we were so busy. We were on the road. We'd get home. I'd have to go into New York. Uh, we'd work until, you know, two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And then I would either get in my car and drive home back out to Connecticut, you know, a couple hours out here. And, uh -huh. um, yeah, or, and then get up and do it again the next day. Or I'd stay in town. Um, but we were busy. We were either rehearsing at SIR or we were on the road or we were doing videos or we were recording for the next record. They were putting things out as quickly as they could get them uh, yeah. written and recorded. You know, yeah. uh, Tommy Mottola w w was he, he's a master at that, you know, yeah. keeping keeping them. Uh, they were hot. They could have been much higher, hotter back then. Yeah, you got to keep it moving. That's right. Yeah. yeah you got to keep them on the radio. You got to come up with the next song and you know tommy was really good at picking the singles he, he knew a hit when he heard one he, he's amazing at that um what about say it isn't so did you play are you yeah. the drummer on say it isn't so yes That's my very favorite uh, Hall and Oates song of, of all. Oh, yeah. yeah I, and it um, starts with your your drum thwack is the first sound you hear. Yeah. And every time I hear that sound, 
it it uh, just transport. I just am so happy. You know, it's ah, here yeah. it comes my favorite song. You know, it's funny. You know? I re I remember recording that song. Uh, I remember the session, and I was, you know, Tom. I'm I, I'm one of those guys. You just channel when you're recording. You have to channel someone or something. Yeah. You hear a you hear a demo, and you think, okay, what would um, Jeff Porcaro do uh -huh. with this? Uh -huh. What would Jim Keltner do to this? What would Jim Gordon do? Um, you know, pick, uh, what would Bernard Purdy do? Pick your favorite yeah. session guy and slot him in on any kind of, uh, any given song. So say it isn't so really, um, uh, Jeff Porcaro has always been, uh, you know, a hero of mine. Always the first thought when you, when I would sit, uh, the tape is rolling, the click starts and you count in the song it would be, I'm channeling Jeff Procaro as best I can. So that yeah. song, that little, that little pickup at the beginning, yeah, um, was was all just stuff that Jeff would, you know. Huh. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm just you steal from your heroes and you just take what you can and you play, you know. I mean, I'm, I couldn't, I couldn't give you one bar of uh, a Jeff Procaro drum track. He he is, you know, still. Yeah, so much, so much better than the rest of us. But um, huh. uh, you know, uh, just just to be able to think that, you know, you get in there and you and you want, you know, you want to play great and you want to you want to be good and uh, you don't want to screw it up. You don't want to lose the click and you don't want to screw yeah. it up. Yeah, yeah. So you, okay. I, that's what I do. I just, uh, you know, I always just channeled someone. You know, uh -huh. um, and you hear a demo or you know, Daryl would sit at the piano and play something and of course t-bone you know was the genius mm -hmm. at arranging and getting these simplifying the tracks and you know keeping it um vocal friendly you know because yeah. you don't you don't want to stomp on the vocal you don't want to be playing all over the place you really just sort of keeping time and and uh just set the groove so that you know daryl and john can do their thing but yeah, so, Say It Isn't So is a good one. That, that's, that, it sounds great on the radio. It's it like, does. One of those. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah, so um, to, uh, another friend of yours that we've had on the show is Phil Thornally. And oh, I, yeah. reached, I reached out to Phil and asked him, you know, is there anything in particular that I should mention? And he gave me a few <laughs> things that I'm going to sprinkle in <laughs> oh, here. Oh, no. <laughs> no, good. All oh, good no. things. Yeah, that was great. I, all I good things. Phil. I just spoke to him. I spoke to him about a week ago. Yeah. Yeah, I love them too. And uh, so I, one thing he mentioned, and I've heard this, I've heard about this story before, speaking of T-Bone, about the hidden sandwich story. Yeah. Safety sandwich, he called it. Yeah, safety sandwich. That's it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bone, Bone was a foodie, you know, he, uh -huh. he always, and what I, one of the things I, I miss about him, he always had in his shoulder bag he always had something a snack or some kind of thing he always had a little sort of a hunk of cheese or some you know ciabatta or uh -huh. he carried a couple of different kinds of hot sauce around with him but he always had salami or something in his bag but the the thing was he he couldn't go without knowing there was some food somewhere in uh -huh. case he needed to snack or eat something so he he called it his safety sandwich he always had something in his bag a, a sandwich of some kind or you know uh -huh. but it was it was at the time really funny and um you know one of those little things that uh 
uh, makes you laugh when you think about it. No. Right. But the right. safety sandwich, it's funny, that whole circle, you know, the whole gang, Holonoke gang of guys, when we did a, a live from Daryl's house, we did a tribute to T-Bone yeah, uh, after he died. Yeah. Um, a memorial sort of thing. And that was the, that was the, just everyone all day long. Safety sandwich was <laughs> the big story. So <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but, but you know, besides being that foodie guy, he was absolutely the best musician. You can I've tell. Ever he you was, tell. he was just, a, and people throw the word around, you know, genius, but uh, he really was. He it's was funny. incredible. He could um, play guitar. Yes. You know, he, you I, know, he played piano like Professor Longhair. He played guitar really? like Lonnie Mack. Oh. You know, he, he was the best bass player. Absolutely the best bass player. We, we would do tracks without click tracks. Yeah. Because we didn't I didn't need, need a click track with T Bone playing bass, you know. Wow. I um I watched I, I was I was an avid watcher of Live from Daryl's House back when it was actually yeah. on the internet. It it was so intimate, you felt I felt as if I was really getting to know T Bone, you know, like he uh yeah. all of those guys, especially but T Bone became yeah. such a kind of, you know, another entity or another yeah. star of that show and when he died it was like i felt like someone i knew died because i felt so invested yeah. in watching him more than listening to the albums my whole life but watching him yeah. be a character on this show every month that i looked so forward to it was yeah. such a loss and that and i'm just a fan let alone someone like you who knew him you know yeah. and it was so out of yeah. the blue yeah 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 it was a horrible 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 uh shock and i had just seen him uh a few days earlier we had uh we were working on some of daryl's uh mm -hmm. record laughing down crying and you know say. great album. yeah uh yeah it, it was horrible uh, and i you know i miss him every day he was one of those guys and you said it you you, you met him and in, in the first three minutes of being with him you it was like you had known him your whole life. He was really, he put, he, he was so comfortable to be with and he was funny and charming that nothing phony about it. And, yeah. um, really sincere, you know, he was, he was beautiful. He was, yeah. he was just an amazing guy. And, yeah. um, you know, I think about him all the time and, uh, I really miss him, but, yeah. um, you know, his, thankfully we have all of that stuff. We have all the right. Daryl's things. We have all the live shows that, we played together and you know that he worked on we have all the records he worked on and all the people he touched and knew and um you know we're fortunate anyone who was in his orbit you know yeah. we're all really lucky we're, we're really lucky to have known him yeah so. um one last hall and oats question i'm curious about i i i believe you're playing at the live in apollo live at apollo album with the temptations or eddie and yes. david anyway uh, what was yeah. that like? Because I've, you know, I've heard, of course, they're legends. I've heard that there was some drama going on as well. But that album is great. And <laughs> I, what a, you know, what a, a sign of like success <clears throat> to be able to have your favorite people come on stage and sing with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was an amazing thrill for all of us. We were... I bet so nervous first of all just to get to the apollo theater just yeah. for, to be able to play at the apollo was such a dream for all of us you know yeah. i mean i never in my in a million years would i have thought i'd ever be able to get to the apollo and play there right. it's such a legendary place but uh we were all everyone was so nervous 
you know, about getting this right. And uh, Daryl was, was really on 10 mm-hmm. the whole time. We were just trying to make sure that everybody knew what they were doing and that Eddie and David could sing. And yeah. we, we were putting medley, medleys together of all the big uh, temp hits. Yeah. They, well, the ones that they sang on. trying to get to arrange the tracks and arrange the songs and we had a fairly big band and uh you know horns and we had lots of keys and uh you know all kinds of stuff and uh it was a very <laughs> tense time you know i i think daryl fired everybody five or six times a day <laughs> everybody qu- i think everybody quit five or six times yeah. a day and yeah. uh, you know it was just it was it was so up I just it, but not in a it wasn't a negative uptight. It was just everybody was really nervous and excited and you know just trying to uh, get it right. And you can yeah. hear it. You know, I listen. I hear those songs and everything is so fast. But yeah. they kept saying, you know, we need it. We need it like James Brown live. Fast. Right. I could see that. That's okay. what Daryl wanted. Daryl wanted that big R and B sort of uh-huh. live review sound. You know, the big fast. Yeah. Really push it push, 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 push. Yeah. And uh, I hear those songs now and I think, my God, how did we do all that stuff so fast? But um, that was a great, and you, you listen to that record. I love the record and I love the, I've seen some footage of the show and it's really, really fun. And yeah. um, you know, that, that's a, that's a great memory that. And then uh, we did the, um, we did the Liberty park show as well. Live at Liberty park. Oh, right. Um, same year. And that, you know, that was the same kind of idea. Yeah, it was really that's... exciting. When you look back at those, and you know, you just you feel it makes you feel good. You know, those, yeah. those were really fun gigs, and uh, you know, everybody was at top of their game, and um, you know, everybody played great. Jimmy Malin was playing percussion, and uh, you know, another hero that we've lost uh, mm-hmm. years ago. He was a great percussion. He played on Avalon. Which is oh right! One of one of my top five records of all time. That's Roxy Music. Album. Yes. Yeah, and it's um, Andy Newmark. I think is playing drums, uh-huh. and Jimmy Jimmy plays the percussion, and it's so well done. Wow. He was another guy that was just a really sweet guy yeah. and uh, incredibly gifted musician. So um, anyway, 
let me let me ask you, and if this is too touchy, I'll cut it out. But was there Eddie and David issues? Uh, uh, you know, frailty, drug issues, whatever it might be. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I know that they um, uh, they left a couple of times. You know, in uh-huh. the middle of right. <laughs> rehearsals. Yeah, um, they disappear for a couple hours and come back. But uh, I didn't see anything weird about it. They were singing great, and they worked really hard. Like you know, they didn't they didn't like uh, they weren't they weren't uh, prima donnas or okay. you know divas or anything. Um, I was just in awe right. of uh, how great they were. David Ruffin, I mean that voice. The voice. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Forget yeah. it. Yeah. That. that um, I wish that it would rain. Uh, uh, oh. Just all of them. Yes. My girl and yes. just all of those great temp songs. Um, my whole I world know. ended the moment you left me. That that uh, that was his first solo song. It was so good. Um, and I was such a big fan. I was such a big fan of his. But they were cool. They they um. Good. I, I didn't. Okay. I mean, I had heard those stories as well that you know there were a lot of drugs floating around and stuff, but not not enough not to where ruin the day or uh, okay. Yeah, no, no, they were there okay. and uh, at Live Aid as well. They showed up, man. We oh, did true. Rehearsals. Good point. They, they worked. They worked. They worked it really hard all through that couple of days. You know, That's and right. Live was Aid. Jeez, I forgot yeah. you were at Live Aid. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we, we were. We were sort of the house band at Live Aid. We were on for over an hour on stage. Oh, uh, it was. Yeah, you got to tell me Oates some Live Aid stories. Well, it was Hall and Oates doing uh, a few songs, and then Eddie and David came out, and we did the the medley of that. And then Mick Jagger came out, and we did a couple of songs with him. And then Tina Turner came I out. I remember that so well. Her. And he rips yeah. her skirt so, off, and I didn't. I never yeah. pieced together that yeah. you were the drummer at that time. Yeah, oh my me. gosh, that was like the yeah. highlight of the whole show. Yeah, that was really fun. I don't. I don't really remember. I remember uh, T Bone and I locking uh, eyes most of that, just so that we knew where we were and what we were doing. Yeah. It, it was a really uh, pretty complicated set. I bet. You know, we had to. You know, you had to sort of adapt to each thing. You know, Daryl and John had their thing, and then. Eddie and David, you're trying to do the sort of uh, Motown, you know, keep yeah. that together and make it sound as real and authentic as you could. And then Mick Jagger came out and we were doing stuff from his solo record. You know, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> it was, it was a, uh, it's all sort of a blur now, but um, oh that gosh. was, that was a, that was a big deal to be able to wow. do that. You know? Yes. I forgot yeah. all about that. And Jagger was, Mick, Mick was amazing. We had rehearsal at SIR he came to rehearsal and he, he was so involved. Really? He's incredibly professional at, at, at all of this stuff. I know he comes off like he's just sort of winging it. No. You know, when you see him. But he knew, he knew what I was playing. He knew what everybody, he knew what the horn section was doing. He knew what everybody's part was, uh, where the ins were, where the outs were, uh, you know, yeah. Just incredibly, incredibly professional and stuck through it through the whole thing. Never left the stage during rehearsals. Wow. Uh, Tina came in and just wanted to wing it, you know. Nah, oh, we'll okay. be fine. We'll just, we'll just do it. You know, because that's how she works, man. She's, right. she's such a great uh, performer. You know, she just goes yeah. for it. So that whole thing with the skirt and all of that, that was, <laughs> none of that was rehearsed. It just sort of happened. Really? Oh. They both... 
it was really amazing. We we had no idea that was coming. No uh, way. It, yeah, and it became one of those moments, right? That was the goes, that's ah. the for me that's one of like the lingering <laughs> memories. Yeah. <laughs> but she didn't flinch. She did yeah. not flinch, man. She just kept moving across that stage. That is and great. Singing the way she sings. I I I am such a huge fan of Taylor, yeah. man. How can you not be? Wow. How can you not love this woman, right? Wow. Oh man. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's fun, man. Hollow notes. I love it. Um, I want to get to, I want to get to Brian, but I want to sprinkle in one more little session thing in here before we get there and um, getting ready to talk to you. I guess I hadn't realized that you played on Steve Winwood's back in the high life album. Yeah. So, yeah. and I love Steve and I love that album. And then I pull it out and I see that it's only the one song, uh, take it as it yeah. comes. So again, yeah. going back to this idea of like, why do you need multiple drummers? Why? What's what's the thought process here? Do you know, like, what was that even like playing on that? Uh, yeah, I, Russ Teitelman, I had worked with Russ on a couple of things. Um, he called and said, uh, I need you to come in uh, to work on the Steve Winwood thing. We, we've got everything we need, but <clears throat> Steve's got two other songs uh, that we want to put drums and we want to track. So I said, okay, I'd love to. So I went into town and uh, we did, Steve was there and we got to play together, which uh, another one of those moments where you, yeah. you just can't believe you're in the room. And Steve Winwood's sitting at the B3 and he's playing the B3 and he's singing and you're playing drums 10 feet away from him, oh. watching him do this. I was, <laughs> I, was oh, I was just, I couldn't believe, you yeah. know, uh, so uh, we recorded um, Take It As It Comes and they wanted to put uh, real drums on um, a Higher Love. Okay. So, yeah. So we did uh, we did a big uh, crazy backbeat thing for Higher Love uh, which they ended up just sort of looping in and programming in. Okay. And we did, we took the drum track for... Um, uh, the other song, and we broke it down to just kick and snare, 
and then we overdubbed the hi-hat, and then we overdubbed crash cymbals and fills. Uh, it was what uh, Russ was doing then, you know, in uh -huh. his engineering uh -huh. uh, phase of recording. So, um, you know, that track was sort of, each individual part was pieced together, and I found out that that's sort of how they did the whole record. But oh. I know JR played on most of that record. And, yeah, uh, yeah, he did. You hear those tracks. Back, the song Back in the High Life is one of the best drum tracks ever. And you really? Can, I mean, I can hear little, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. It's, but JR, it's, it's JR. Well, it's JR. JR's... JR Robinson, come on. Yeah, yeah. You know, he can, nobody's that good. No, so, <laughs> he's amazing. No, nobody's that good. And he's right. the sweetest guy. He's really funny and he's, he's so great. Uh, okay. Anyway. I, do you I remember, I do too. Do you remember when, I mean, so you, it sounds like you were kind of called in after the fact to just yeah, that's sweeten what it, up Russ the thing. Yeah, that's what told me that. Russ, Russ told me that on the phone. He said, we have everything we need, but I need you to come in and just do this uh, one thing and uh, we're going to fix up another thing. You know, just the, I was sort of the uh, cleanup guy, you know, just okay. going in. Uh, but Steve was really fun. And um, he, he called me a, a couple of months later to see if I'd be interested in touring. And really? Thought, Man, how great that would be. But uh, I was so committed to Brian at the yeah. time. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't take a tour, especially, but, um, I would have, that, that I would have loved to have done. Yeah. He is, he's, a, he's one of those guys, man. He's, he's another one. I love, yeah, love he's so much of what he's done. Of I wondered if there were, I guess if you weren't involved in the beginning, you may not know, but that album was so huge. There were what, four or five big singles off of it. And it's this resurrection yeah. of a career that a new generation, I mean, not that his career was you know, dead or anything like yeah. that, but a whole new gen. I'm I'm not old enough to have paid attention to the Spencer Davis group. You know what I mean? Yeah. But because yeah. I love Back in the High Life so much, now I'm going back and I'm becoming a fan of all of it because of him. Yeah. And I that yeah. I wondered if that was a plotted strategic move. You know, like we've got mm. something here. Our we're putting all of our muscle behind making sure that Steve Winwood's new album hits big or yeah. flash in the pan. And I wondered if you were even privy to these kinds of conversations, you know? No, okay. no. I, I mean, really, I, I was the guy, and you know, you just get called, you're the hired help. You get called yeah. to, to come in and play drums. Uh, my conversations with Steve were, you know, uh, I, I mean, I was just blubbering about how, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what a fan I am. Right. The traffic, all the stuff he did with traffic and, mm -hmm. you know, all the, the early, the, the Spencer Davis stuff, he was just a kid. And yeah just so, so brilliant but no i i but i have a feeling because russ Tileman was involved and russ you know russ produced a lot of big records and um i think because of his involvement and how brilliant he is at making records like that okay you know the the song back in the high life is so well made and so beautifully done and it's such a great it's just as a song it's fantastic and you know his every everything about it is Steve Winwood, you know, yeah. on 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 ten. Yeah. So, I think Russ probably had a lot to do with how, uh, you know, how successful that record yeah. became. Okay. And yeah, okay. it could have been the guys. That, it could have been the guys that label saying, you know, listen to this. How can yeah. we not make this? You know, push this and get it out there. And he's a he's an he's an incredibly gifted talent. He should he be is. he should be on everyone's top ten list. Agreed. You know? uh, Agreed. Yeah.
yeah. it was just the right, perfect move at the perfect time, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, it, it's like any of those guys, you know, they, they sort of come and go. Everybody does it. Mm-hmm. You have uh, you have a couple of big records. You stick with it long enough. And, you know, now you're in the business for 25 or 30 years and you're still there and you're yeah. still making records and people are still hearing your name. And you sort of transcend that. <clears throat> you know, well, I'm just another working musician. Now you're sort of a living legend, you know? Right, right. And um, I think, you know, I think Steve's that guy, um, yeah. Elton John and, you know, Eric Clapton and Ringo and, you know, just all these, he's right in there with all right. of these uh, I agree. huge, huge legendary names, you know? Yeah, so, I agree. Um, okay, yeah. one more before I move on to Brian. Tell me about playing, uh, and I don't think I knew this until Phil Thornally told me, that you're the you're doing the percussion or the drums or whatever on um, Carly Simon's "Let the River Run" yeah or whatever that's yeah. you right yes. I love that song. I will admit I've never understood what that song had to do with Working Girl, but I love the song and yeah. the movie, so I'm okay. And it wins an Oscar yeah. and everything. But I uh, yeah, right. Tell me about I mean, it. I, I, yeah, I had no idea what it what what it was uh, what it had to do with the movie either, other than you know obviously um, or apparently uh, someone said to her, "We need a song for the soundtrack for this movie," and that's what she was working on at the time right, perhaps probably. i don't i don't know but uh yeah that was another one of those uh, things where they call somebody called and said you know um do you want to come in carly needs uh, drums on this song uh, great i went into new york and i put drums on the track they had already had sort of a lin machine bit which gave me an idea for sort of that off sort of off rhythm thing that the song has 
So they ended up using live drums. I did put some percussion on there too, uh, cowbells and okay. uh, tambourine shakers and things. But the drum track ended up being on the actual movie soundtrack. And I think the, the original single, uh, it was just the percussion used on the, on the Lynn track. Okay. So there, there's, I think there are two sort of definitive versions of that song floating around. There's a video, uh, yeah. and that's me. That's me in the video, and that's uh, I know that the, the my drum track. It's funny because they, uh, I had to go into New York at 5:30 in the morning. They wanted to get on uh, the Staten Island ferry to uh-huh. shoot. So um, I got up, I drove into I drove into New York, and I got on the Staten Island Ferry, and it's 7.30 in the morning in the middle of February. Oh, oh. Yeah, the wind was whipping, it was rainy, it was crappy, it was cold, and everybody's all bundled up. And they set the drum kit up on the back part of the boat where the wind was the, was the worst. So I'm sitting there, and they're doing take after take after take, and it's like, well, Mickey, we need you up. We need you back there just playing because, you know, the shot's going to be over here. So it was all day on the Staten Island Ferry, back and forth, back and forth. And those people, the, all the people on the boat were actually people going to and from really? work. You know? Yeah, it was, oh, real, it was a real run for the Staten Island Ferry. But um, that, <clears throat> that I remember more than anything about the song or the track. I, I love that song. It, yeah. Carly's a great songwriter. We had, uh, I worked with her a couple of times. I worked on that, and then we worked. Brian had written a song for her, and we we worked on that years okay. later. Wow, she, she's great. Yeah, but yeah, she's um. You know, Ricky Murata does most of her drumming. Tracking. That's right. Okay, that's right. Uh, I know. I know. Russ Russ Kunkel's on all the early stuff. Yeah, but Ricky is. Um, you know, I was really when I did that track, I was really channeling Rick. He's okay. he's another guy. He's another guy that's just beyond the rest of us when it comes to knowing what to do he's and where to place where to put that backbeat and you know just how to make something feel yeah the best it can i was really trying hard to just um do do my best rick morata imitation which that makes impossible to do okay yeah um okay let's talk about brian um i uh to me reckless is a perfect album perfect yeah it's uh it's Mm. up there as one of my favorite albums of all time i and into the fire is a great follow-up although and keith and i were talking about this like okay so for instance i saw i've seen brian in concert three times the first time was around Mm -hmm. reckless so that wouldn't you wouldn't have been there the other time i grew up in salt lake city and so there was a time when you when brian was the surprise opener for the rolling stones in Mm. in salt lake city and it was just you well it was him and keith and i assume you and i think it was just a three-piece in like all white clothes yeah do you remember this yes okay i do i saw that show and then i just saw you guys at red rocks a couple of years ago and that was that was so much fun uh (laughs) why doesn't brian like into the fire what's his why does he kind of ignore that album I don't know. I don't know if he doesn't like it. I, I think because it it didn't do what they were hoping it would do, so maybe it's not you know it's not as well known. Perhaps you maybe. know we we come out and do the live show is you know you've got to play the hits. That's what people yeah. are coming to hear, 
and then sprinkle in some of the new things or what you're working on now. That's sort of, I think, his his idea of you know what to do for a live show. I get um, it, but Heat of the yeah. Night is a big enough. I mean, just just pluck that yeah. one. People would appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and every now and then we do pull that out, uh, you know, or he'll do it acoustically at the okay. end of the night or something. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I you know that record. It's my favorite Adams record. Is it? Wow. Yeah, I, I just love I love everything about that record. I love the sounds. Uh-huh. I love the, you know, we recorded it at his house. Oh. So the drums were in the dining. We put the drums in the dining room, and the <laughs> control room was the basement. Uh, Clear Mountain was set up downstairs, and we we would talk to each other and see each other via camera and, okay. um, you know. So, Fascinating. Uh, wow. Yeah, so... So that whole record was done in his house in Vancouver, and um, the sounds are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the, the track, Into the Fire, is probably my favorite. Really? Adam track. I just there's something about that so track. good that's so good. so good the guitars are so good keith keith is just shining and it, it's got a real sort of uh lilt and drive the song is great he sings the just he's such a good singer and the drum you know i was it's another one of those tracks where i was really channeling jeff porcaro just huh. thinking you know this is right up jeff's alley this is something he would you know he would just kick the shit out so i thought what what would uh can I, what can I steal from Jeff? So, huh. um, wow. Oh, you know, I love I, these I stories. Have, I have, yeah. I have three drum fills and they're all on that. Track. <laughs> 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 I, I dug deep and I, I dug deep and I used all three of my, the drum fills that I know how to play are, <laughs> are, are in that song. That's great. So, okay. But, yeah. Um, Very that cool. was fun. That record was really fun. I had a lot of stuff going on at the time when we recorded that. So, um, oh. you know, Daryl Hall and Oates had just stopped. Uh, you know, I was told there won't be anything for a while. So, you know, uh, yeah. I knew I had to work. I was looking for session work and uh, Clear Mountain called and said, Brian's Perfect. working on this record and we've got some tracks already recorded, but we need you to come up. Please come up to Vancouver and play drums. Uh, uh, this is a godsend, you know, so. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, went, I went up there and um, we did that. And, you know, that was a great couple of months of my life. Yeah, you know? yeah I bet. It, it really it really was a big turning point for me. So, so 
okay. Where did this Brian Adams go? Because I, I mean, yeah, he's still out there and he does what he wants to do and he's still great at it. Nothing like that has changed. But so many of us fell in love with the, you know, denim jacket or Levi jacket, Brian, rocker Brian Adams. And that guy is so different than the guy who writes songs for, you know, Jennifer Lopez. Nothing against Jennifer yeah. Lopez, but like, where did he go? And wh and who, yeah. why? Like, did it, there, to some of us, it, I love him so much, but most of that love is based on these earlier albums that cuts like a knife and everything that were so fantastic Ooh. and pivotal for me. And he just doesn't seem interested in being that Brian at all. And he's somebody yeah. completely different now. And, uh, I'm confused, and I, I know you yeah. know any other fan that I talk to feels similarly, and I'm just wondering why. Like, what? Where did this guy go? <laughs> that's a great question. Um, and if that's a compromising I, I, question for you, you tell me. I mean, I'm I'm no, just no, letting no, it out no, because I, I, that's how I, I feel. I, it's an, it's, inter it's interesting because you know I I I still work with him, and we still work as hard as we did then. Yeah. Uh, and you know he he works really hard on on writing his songs and recording his music. I don't know where that guy went. I think you know maybe it's one of those things where people evolve. Yeah. You change with with the times. Maybe you try you're adapting to what's happening now, or you're just you know it's this life cycle. You know yeah. it's kind of like a like a caterpillar turns into a butterfly or something. I, I don't know. I guess. I don't know. Uh, he still writes great songs. Uh, he sings better than ever. He's, yeah. His voice is fantastic. He's got some rock thing ideas. Um, he does like to do things himself, though. I mean, most of his records now. Yeah, they don't even feature self. Keith very much, or you, I no, don't think. He, yeah. He, no, no. He, um, you know, he does a lot. He does most of it by himself. So that's where he is right now. And um, I don't think the guy has changed. It's just maybe his approach to his music. Huh has become more sort of, uh, you know, yeah. Um, Polished is self. the word that comes to yeah, mind or, or for just, me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And just sort of more self involved. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean, you yeah. know, it's, it's Brian doing Brian and, um, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Uh, okay. that's a really good question, but, um, yeah, everybody loves the, the big, you know, the big rock records and the, yeah. Sort of that. Uh, you're right. The you show, know, I mean, the concert that we, I know, the concert I saw at Red Rocks was fantastic. And you, other than yeah. Into the Fire stuff, which still bums me out, you mm. touched on all those great hits and everything. So it's everything you would want yeah. live. It's just, yeah. it's been, and I'm, I should, I feel bad. I'm not a huge fan of the Waking Up the Neighbor neighborhood album, yeah. just because it's too yeah. much to me it's it's a little too yeah. there's great songs on it but it's a little it's a little too hyper polished for me yeah. and that's a mutt thing yeah. and i get it he makes great yeah. albums it's okay yeah. but anyway those first those three you know cuts like a knife reckless yeah. into the fire are, they've yeah. never been you know he doesn't go there ever anymore and i just yeah. wish that yeah. he would and i'm confused yeah. so i think i think in maybe for him he is he is writing those songs still just yeah. what you're hearing are, you know, they're not, it's not me playing on some of a lot of it or Pat uh, it's, you know, Keith maybe isn't quite as involved or clear mountain or, um, you know, the people that were involved in those earlier records. 
Yeah. Uh, plus times change, you know, sounds yeah. change, recording techniques change. Any kid in the world can sit in his bedroom and make a record, you know, and make it sound like the best True. record ever recorded. Uh, I know. So, you know, that, that, uh, that probably, um, has something to do with it. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, but you know, it's funny that you mentioned, it's funny that you mentioned the, um, the three piece opening for the stones because at the time we were Keith and I, we were actually calling us ourselves the below average white band. Right. <laughs> because we were all wearing, everything was white and a white kit and white clothing. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, funny. also no, also known as the milkman or, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had to throw that in there because that was the joke at the time. The below average white band was sort of where we. <laughs> that's great. Uh, that's anyway. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Those cool. were fun though, those shows, the, yeah. the three of us. It was hard. It was difficult because Keith was covering, Keith had to cover everything. All the background yeah. vocals, all the guitar parts, all the keyboard parts. And I was just trying to, you know, fill in a little more with sound. Um, yeah. It's really, you know, be trying to, well, I don't know how the police did it, but they were <laughs> amazing at it. Yeah, uh, true. You know, or, or Cream. I don't know how yeah. Cream did it. but I remember that night anyway. going to that show, and it's a, it's a surprise who the opener is going to be. And, um, yeah. you know, we're Salt Lake City, so we understand yeah. that we get kind of the dregs sometimes of who these big name <laughs> openers might be. And uh, <clears throat> my uh, girlfriend and I at the time are up in the rafters and, who yeah. knows, you know, what's going to happen. That's and then funny. I think, I think if I remember right, the announcer says, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Brian Adams, and it's just you three yeah. in your milk clothes or whatever you were saying. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. it was different. And it, at, by that point, I think he had his, uh, 18 till I die long hair and, yeah, uh, yeah, it yeah. just looked different. Right. It felt different. It was like, what yeah. is this? It's so weird. Yeah, right. But ladies yeah. and gentlemen, Topo Gigio. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, right. It's so oh, funny the dregs of the music that you well, get to open. That's that's, that's very like funny. City. That's our lot in yeah. life. I get it. So anyway, oh, classic. Um, yeah. Okay. Other than into the fire, maybe reckless, maybe whatever you want to yeah. say. Is there a moment on one of these Brian Adams albums that you played on that you're particularly proud of, where you? you were talking about your three fills or whatever, but is there something where yeah. you're like, you know what? I've always loved that I did this or that we, you know, the yeah. moment we recorded this song was really special because what's give us a moment. Well, recording the song into the fire was a big moment for me because I knew when, when as soon as that take was finished, I knew that was going to be that was it. like sort of a, a, you know, a very definitive sort of my kind of drum track, you know, yeah. Okay. What what I what that track is one of those tracks that if someone said to me you know uh, give us give us one song where you think uh, you you are at your absolute best that would probably be that's the one it mm. yeah and also the the, the first um, sessions with Brian on uh, you want it you got it mm. there were a couple of songs. Uh, I haven't heard that album in years. I don't even remember the names yeah. of all of them. And also, just like like the the cuts like a knife track. Yes. Song. Oh just man. Recording. I re I remember recording that and just the intensity, you know, and the, I had I had my cans so loud, and 
I had everything just blasting because Clear Mountain had gotten those amazing drum sounds and the track was just sitting perfectly. And, you know, it's it's all going right. And and you're working so hard, you know, you're holding your breath through most of the track because you don't want to, you don't want to lose the, the, uh, the groove and you don't want to play something um, that doesn't fit or doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So every second of that track, when I hear the song, I'm sort of reliving the recording of it, you know, yeah. and that the sort of edginess and the whole, uh, just, just trying to hold it back, hold it back and keep it down and, uh, you know, make it groove, but rock at the same time, you know, yeah. that, that's another one of those tracks. Um, good one. That's, good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, let me throw a couple more things at you. This is fun. I so many. I mean, I, you, I can't. I can't believe it's this early for you, and you're still. You're so. Uh, <laughs> you know. But good how, for you, Tom. I'm, this, I'm, I'm proud of you, man. Yeah. No, it's good. I'm fine. This is you know what's better than hearing rock stories. Um, yeah, great. Okay, so my uh, we have Patreon supporters, and uh, they had reached out uh, with some. I always tell them who I'm interviewing, and they came back with some questions that they wanted me to ask. One of them was, and you don't have to go into too much detail unless you want to, but um, you played on Mystery Girl, the last Roy Orbison album, and they were curious yeah. how, what that session was like and uh, you know, uh-huh. being with him at the very end. For so long Still every time I think of us I get blue But all I can do is dream you
you probably didn't know it was uh, the very end, but it ended up being the No, no, none of us knew that. He he wasn't, unfortunately, he wasn't in the room when I put drums on that. Oh, shoot. Uh, he wasn't there, but it was a T-Bone Burnett session. You know, I did a lot of work with T-Bone Burnett in the uh, eight, sort of 80s and 90s. Uh, I played on a bunch of records for him in L.A., and mm. um, he had a couple of Roy Orbison songs, and he said, you know, maybe we can put drums on one of these. So... Uh, that was, it was really quick. I, I think I did maybe one or two takes and, um, um I love that record. That's such yeah. a good record. And, I mean, how great is it to, your, your, the tape is rolling, you know, you hear it start and you start playing and then you hear Roy Orbison's voice, you know, when you're playing yeah. drums to this, to this legendary guy and, you know, every note was so beautifully done. He was, he was incredibly good. Yeah, uh, and so gifted, and what a voice! I know. His songwriting and it, um, but unfortunately, no, I didn't. I didn't get to meet. Okay. Roy, uh, Which song but, was it? Uh, you only played one song uh, on that album, or did you play I the played, whole? I played. I played one song on that record. Uh, uh, dream, I can dream you. I okay. think is the song. Okay. I can't. I, the title is not. That's fine. Sticking with. Uh, and then another one, and this is an album that I'm not, I remember when it came out, but I don't think I've ever heard it. And that's uh, the Yo Frankie album from Dion. You're on that as well, right? Yeah, yes. Tell us about it. I think, I think that's two tracks. We did that at uh, A&M in L.A., and Brian had been working, um, you know, they uh, was asked to do some work with Dion. So uh, they wrote a couple of things. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, he's, he's one of those guys, I mean, he's a, le a legend. He's another guy. You sit in the room, and you can't believe you're sitting, yeah. you're sitting in a room talking to him. 
Uh, he's a great storyteller. Um, he's a really, really uh, sweet man and very kind and, um, uh, you know, gentle. And But the stories were so great. We just, I didn't want to play drums. I just wanted to sit and listen to him tell I stories. Bet. He, I bet. he had stories for days. But a lot of people came down to the studio to see him. Yeah, and it was really fun. Uh, um, Bono came down and said hello. And, and it was really cool. You're sitting around. Steve Jones came in and said hi. And um, it was really, really fun. But uh, he was telling road stories about his first tour. You know, they were in a station wagon and you know, and they were getting like, you know, $27 a gig or something. <laughs> Yeah, those and, you know the they had all those great those two, those songs yeah. run around Sue the Wanderer, yeah. oh. the tracks the yeah. tracks are scary good you know I'm I'm one of those guys I can't listen to a song anymore I I analyze everything I, I hear something so I mean what I'm checking out of course always first and foremost is the drum thing uh -huh. uh, the track and the sound and how did they do that and how did this guy play that good and you know all that but um, I think that was uh, okay what was it? anyway. But yeah, Dion was Dion was a blast to work with, and I got um, a few months later he was in New Haven, uh, very close to where I live. He was at a place called Toad's Place, which was sort of a famous uh, oh. club in New Haven. He Dion was playing there, and um, I got to go see him and say hello. My brother is a huge Dion fan, one of my brothers, and I said, "Let's go. Well, I'll see if I can hook that up." So uh -huh. Bruce Allen Bruce Allen hooked that up for me, and um, we went and saw him. And we were in the dressing room, and he couldn't have been nicer. Oh, he nice! Got, he, yeah, we had dinner with him. He had he he got some food brought in, and we wow. sat around and yapped. And it was so sweet and so nice. And uh, uh, one of one of the one of the greats, man. That's great. What Do a, you he's another guy. What a you know? oh, no kidding. Well, and he's really? a legend. I mean, he's one of the he's a piece of the foundation of popular music. <laughs> you know, I agree. Yeah, uh, unbelievably true. Yeah, uh, um, amazing. Do you remember any of the songs you played on that one? You said there were two of them. I don't remember the names of the songs. I'm sorry, I don't. That's okay. Um, okay. And then, um, uh, I'm not a Tom Waits fan, but I, uh, yeah, I, uh, what, <laughs> what? what? I know, I know. I feel bad because all the really oh God, smart you actually people. said that. I know. You, you just said that. I guess it is early out there. For you. you're, saying you, you're saying things you don't mean. <laughs> well, I, I I am willing to admit this might be my failure that I just have not. I don't know what oh, no. I just have never quite come around. I, I get it. Well, and, you, uh, just, you just lost three listeners, man. I did. I know. <laughs> uh, but I was asked if you had any good Tom Waits stories because you're on oh, uh, Rain Dogs, right? Yeah, I'm on just the um, downtown train. Oh, okay. That's the only thing I played on. Okay. I'm shining like a new dime Downtown trends of food For those Brooklyn girls That try so hard To break out of their little worlds Well, you wave your hand And the sky of my clothes They have nothing That will ever capture your heart That's a 
We got, we got called in, GE and T-Bone and I were asked to come and play uh, a session, do a session with Tom. So we were in New York and we went in and he had this song, Downtown Train. Uh-huh. And Tom's one of those guys, I am I am such a huge fan. Oh boy. Unlike you. Oh man. Unlike you. I lost so all I was credibility. Always a fan of, I love Tom Waits. I, Tom Waits is one of those guys that, uh, you know, he's so deep yeah. and he's so true to his his inner musician or whatever artist yeah. and he just does it how he does it and mm-hmm. there's nobody that good uh, I, I find him just fascinating I and uh, his songs are so good and so uh, real and all that yeah. he's got a great voice he's a really beautiful guy he had, um, he had this song <clears throat> so we set up and we were playing through and um, I just, you know, I had sticks and I played, you know, we played the song and uh, we were back in the control room listening to the take and he's going, you know, he's kind of humming and hawing, you know, mumbling. And so <laughs> That's exactly what Tom Waits sounds like, even when he sings <laughs> yeah. to so me. He, so he looked, he, 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 I said, so what, what do you think? What, what do you want to do? And he said, uh, uh, you know, you got, uh, you got sort of red over here. And you got sort of blue over here. <clears throat> I'm looking for that sort of green in the middle. <laughs> you know, this is this is how he talked about uh, drum tracks and you know his 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 backing tracks. So <laughs> I thought, okay, red, blue, green. Hmm. So anyway, after after a lot of this sort of colorful uh, banter and uh, trying to figure out what we were going to do, we ended up. Um, we dampened the drums with uh, towels and rags and, you know, made them sort of get really dead sounding. Okay. And I played with mallets. I used mm. soft mallets. And that's the track we ended up with. And, you know, that was one one pass. He listened to it and he said, I love that. That's that's working for me. And we left wow. it at that. And you found and green. That was it. Yeah, we found green. And okay. uh, <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah. We found green. And, um, and uh, he might have made some green. Yeah, I think song, so. Actually. Yeah. yeah, but that's a great song. And it then, is. I love the Rod yeah. Stewart version, but and, I know that makes me kind of a wimp comparatively. Yeah, no, I, I like the Rod Stewart version as well. But I, I just, it's a great song. And uh, I, we had no idea that it would go on to be this sort of, oh, sort of one of those. Um, yeah, it's like know, a touchstone. Tom Waits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'm a big fan of his. I, I've always loved him. Um, he came when I when I was working on a couple of T Bone Burnett things. He would come down to the studio in L.A. Uh, he brought his son with him a couple of times, and we we just hung out and and sat around and laughed. And we we'd go out and get something to eat. He was really sweet and very kind to me, really nice to me. And um, you know he's a really he's a really nice cat. And, uh-huh. um, uh I I really love him. He he's um, okay. He's something. Okay. 
Yeah. Good. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Uh, um, let me go back to a couple of Phil Thornalley things. First of all, you played on some songs, some Astral Drive songs, and um, I I love this Astral Drive project of Phil's. I yeah. know it's a love letter to Tom or to Todd Rundgren, but it's so perfect for what it is. It doesn't have to be about anybody other than Phil and his vision, and it's so good. Here's the story. So he says, when I played with Brian, I stood next to Mick. One evening, there seemed like confetti falling on me from above uh, as we played the show, and I couldn't figure it out. Then it happened again, and I thought, what the WTF? Uh, little clouds of wood splinters. Yeah. And I saw the monitor engineer laughing and released, uh, realized Mick was throwing drumstick debris on me when I wasn't looking. And uh, it was one of this these little sneaky make the bass player crazy tricks that you do. Did that? Yeah. Uh, do you remember this? Yeah, I yeah I did that to Phil a few times. I have these drumsticks. They're uh, some sometimes I use them for certain songs. They're like a dowel stick. They're a they're a, a little bundle of uh, wooden dowels. So they're very small, you know, and thin and easily breakable. Uh -huh. So almost like a broom, you know, you can break uh -huh. them up. And there were just those moments during the show, you know, where you're having fun and uh, maybe he's he's looking elsewhere. And my, our monitor guy, uh, Rob, uh, always thought that kind of stuff was funny. And, you know, uh -huh. those little inside things. No one really notices other than the people involved. So, um, yeah, I would do that to Phil. Just Good. I would okay. take a few pieces of the doll stick and I sort of toss them high over his head so that they would drop out of and he had no idea where they were coming from because i could just do it and then turn away and right you know try to do it the, the most fun part was doing it during during a song i bet which, yeah which was not easy for me because you know you're trying so to play and um you got to free up one hand for yeah a split second yeah. anyway okay so he also yeah. told me to ask you about the robin hood grammy costume hoax with the late Michael Kamen. Oh yeah, we were doing, we were, we were uh, playing at the Grammys, and um, you know the song was huge. It had yeah. been nominated, and Michael Kamen, uh, who who wrote it with Brian, and um, th this was Brian and Mutt and Bruce Allen playing a little trick on Michael. They told Michael that we were all going to wear these these sort of green tights really <laughs> uh, yeah on stage okay. like robin hood tights right? with a little hat and the little curly shoes you know so we all we would all look like sort of these christmas elves with that robin hood thing <laughs> right so so michael comes michael comes and it's you know we've got about an hour a half an hour or something before we're on stage so all of these suits are hanging up in the dressing room so Somebody says to Michael, I don't know who said it, but Michael, you got to get your suit on because you got to do a little pre-show interview thing and then we're on stage. So go, go get your suit on now. So he goes into the, 
he takes his suit, he goes into the bathroom, and he puts on this suit, this <laughs> like green, these green tights, and um, you know comes out, and he he was sort of in shock. He had no idea, so he almost we almost got him on stage, in the but um, he realized at the last minute that no one else was doing this, and it was a big joke. But they they were always pulling pranks on Michael, who was another musical genius in my yeah opinion. yeah uh, for sure. Brilliant! He was he was so good. The uh, unplugged thing was all yeah. Oh, that uh, really he was such a yeah. yeah. Okay. And, um, yeah. Classic. Anyway, that I is a great Michael. story. He was really fun to work with. We did a show with um, we did a show in Modena with um, Pavarotti. Oh, Pavarotti mm -hmm. used to invite people to do these concerts uh, in his hometown, and they would film them and put them out. So we did a show there, and it was an out this beautiful outdoor stage. Uh, you know, with sort of these Roman ruins around the stage, just this beautiful setting, you know, it's the middle of the summer. And um, Michael uh, conducted the orchestra, and uh, that was really amazing to watch him work. I he bet. was so good at them. You know, he knew he knew every part and every, uh, every little detail of the show. And um, yeah. following, you know, I was, I would try to play and follow him and, uh, while he conducted, he was he was really something else with that stuff. Wow, so that was a really that was. But Michael was really funny, and um, you know they they tried on numerous occasions to sort of prank him, <laughs> and um, that was a really good one. We were we were all just really laughing. Uh, that's so that. funny. So, that's great. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, um, I mean, there's more I could ask you about, but I, uh, I this is so much fun. Thank you, Mickey, for talking with me. A couple of things I want to mention. I think um, I've read, it's probably on Wikipedia or something. You're in Connecticut, and I think you married your high school sweetheart. Sometimes we yes, just... I did. Yes, I and did you guys have been married all this time. Yeah, well, we got married at 30. Oh, well, that'll so, help. Okay. Yeah, but we were, we, you know, we met, we met our sophomore year of high school, and, you know, um, yeah. Okay. And she's, she's the best. Kids. So. No kids. No kids. Just the two of us. That helps. We both have big families, though. We, yeah, we both have large families, so there are lots of kids around all the time. Okay. Well, not so much now. You know, we're yeah. trying trying really hard to keep sane, and um, we don't want to get anyone sick or yeah, whatever. I understand. It's these. It's such a strange time we're living in. But anyway, we both yeah. have very large. I have six brothers. Oh wow. Uh, she's got five brothers and sisters, and you know, lots of kids and nieces and nephews and good it's really it's great so okay okay yeah. and um when you look back over all of this what is your is there a memory that sticks out maybe meeting someone or i don't know a show or the you know hearing it on the radio whatever it might be that we haven't already touched on that is one of your favorite memories or stories is there something that sticks out you know i think we probably hit on a lot of the things that you know live aid was such a big yeah. deal for me and uh, those early days in the studio, you know, where you get to work with, especially with Daryl and John, you yeah. know, that was such a big thrill for me and the Steve Winwood thing. But I mean, there's so many things, you know, I got to work with so many great people. I got to work with Alice Cooper and, yeah. uh, you know, Steve Jones and Richard Thompson and Sam Phillips and all these other great, yeah. uh, there's so many, you know, the Los Lobos stuff was, that's, <laughs> that's story. There, there are stories for days with these records. I bet. I have all those things on my um, notes, and I'm just thinking, I, yeah. we could go well, for days. We can, always, we can always talk another time. We might have to but, do that. But uh, Yeah, I, I would love that. But anyway, um, 
Yeah, it's been amazing. You know, I'm really yeah. lucky. I'm like the luckiest guy. I, I'm so grateful that I, you know, people call me and I get to go play drums. You yeah. know, I mean, that there's nothing better than being able to do that and uh, yeah, I you bet. know, work with these amazing work with these amazing talents all over. And One of the things really, too, we just, try to. I, you're blessed and you played on so much music that matters to me. I am curious though. We try, we try to touch on kind of the, the business side of things on here a little bit sensitively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, with yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a, you're a touring drummer and, uh, but yeah. not, not a songwriter necessarily. So in this time of, you know, tumultuous time when no shows for who knows how long, I mean, are you you going to be okay? I mean, what's the yeah. what does that look like for you? Well, you know, I've always I've always been able to work. You know, you you have your ups and downs. I mean, you talk to any working, yeah, muso. You know, and where for me, I'm just like a one of many road rats. You know, I mean, you just you get the call and you go. Uh, fortunately, you know, Brian's been keeping us busy, and uh, he loves to work. He loves to play. So, the music biz has been really good for me uh you know i work i get paid i save my money i'm not a crazy dude you know uh and and it's all been great we're we're safe we're fine good uh i'm not i'm not all that worried about a career thing Uh, good things will happen they happen and uh hopefully you know um i have some sessions booked but i'm not sure i'll be able to do them you know we're just keep keep sort of keep in touch with each other um, with these okay. things. And, you know, we'll figure that all that out. But no, to answer your question, I, I'm uh, I'm fine. You know, we're good. financially fine and we're happy and um, it's all good. It's all good. 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 So, yeah. Well, uh, thank you for talking with me, Mickey. I love so much of thank what you. you've done. I, it's so great. Uh, you're a, thank you make everything you do better. And I'm so, uh, Glad that oh, I got to you, tell you that, and after all these years, it means a lot to me. Well, B- Bill, let me. Ah, uh-huh, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Don't, no, don't. So it really sorry. doesn't matter. I feel like a complete idiot. I kept calling you, to... but no. that's okay. You'll be. Yeah, when I tell people, I talk to Tom uh, and to watch to listen to his podcast. So you'll know what I'm talking about. I'll be sure I know what I'm talking about. Good. I hope I'm so. so. Sorry. No, don't worry about okay. it. Um, anyway, right. okay. Well, but, thanks. But th- thanks, thanks for thinking of me, and you know, it's been great. And um, yeah. there's a million stories, man. So we can I talk know. anytime. I know anytime. we might have to do this again. All right, there you have it, Mickey Curry. I love that guy. I love that. Uh, hopefully, he'll come back and do a deep dive with us sometime too. So much cool music in there. Now, I wanted to close it out. We've all heard Hollow Notes. We've all heard Brian Adams. We all heard The Cult recently. I wanted to spend a little bit more time on that Astral Drive album. So this is Sing to the World, a song that Mickey played on with Phil on the Astral Drive uh, project. This album is great. I hope everyone out there will pick this thing up because it is so wonderful. It's Phil's love letter to Todd Rundgren. It is so fun. Anyway... Uh, That's it for drummers. I do have one more really interesting conversation with a big-time drummer, not a session drummer. He's with a band, but I think I'm going to hang on to that for a little while longer because we've got more other ones in the coffers that are ready to come out. In fact, next week's guest is the front man for, I guess you would call them a synth-pop band from the 80s. They're British. They only really had a couple of hits in the States, big ones. Um, What you will find, though, is that the synth-pop period, I guess, of their career is a blip. 
uh, this guy is way more wide-ranging than that, and he has one of the greatest singing voices the UK has ever produced, okay? So that's what's coming out next week. I love this conversation, too, and I think you guys will, too. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Thank you, buddy, for putting everything together, putting up with me, and putting out a great product. Uh, you guys know by now you can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. By the way, uh, there's, a, there's a link to our Patreon page on here if you want to join up. The first tier is two bucks a month. You set it and forget it, and it puts you in the running to win any and all swag that we ever get our hands on. Five bucks a month will not only uh, uh, get you in for that, but it will also, I will tell you who I'm interviewing, every interview I do, and if you want to contribute questions or whatever, this is your chance. That's for the $5 tier. Anyway, keep us in mind, okay? We love you all. We'll talk to you later. See